0: And so I'm going to ask you, please, to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. And we want to be reading from verse 26. As we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11, as you read the Scriptures there, and as we look at the heroes of faith within that passage of Scripture, you'll find out that in most of the characters that were highlighted as a person of faith, We saw that Jesus, in one way or another, was mentioned as the one who their faith was centered around. And um, we looked at Moses leading Israel out of the wilderness and how Moses had to go and instruct the Israelites to put blood on the the posts of the doors because the angel of death was going to come. And unless the Israelites did that, every firstborn would be killed. And so we see here that it's a symbol of Jesus shedding his blood for the world. And in particular, when we look at the life of Moses. And so this morning, I want to imprint this passage of Scripture, even as we look at our general lives as, as believers. My friends, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, knowing Him as the suffering servant, is central to the living faith of every Christian. That's the pathway that each and every one of us have to walk, to be in relationship and in constant fellowship with God. It's the way of the cross. And um, we make much of that truth here within our church. It is not through church membership that you have a relationship with God. It is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that we do. And it is the biblical Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and who rose up again, and who ascended into the heavens. And the Bible says that he's going to come back again. Our faith hangs on that central truth. And so the cross here at Lift Church is central to all that we believe. And maybe you can just say yes if you agree with that. I don't know what I would have done if you said no. But it's central to our faith. And so let's read read the scripture from Luke chapter 23. And um, from verse 26, all the way up to verse 43. As the soldiers led Jesus away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind him. Now, even just the first verse, you almost don't even want to go past that verse without commenting on it, because it is so crucial to us understanding this passage of Scripture. Because as we read this passage of Scripture, I just want you to notice all of the characters that made out the company of people around this incredible event, which we call the crucifixion of Jesus. So the first character is Simon of Cyrene. We don't have a documented account that he actually came to know Jesus, but the assumption is there that he became a follower of Jesus. But there are documented accounts, as the historians write, and they say that he had two sons. And reference is made that both of his two sons, became followers of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And so even as we start out to read here, I want you to know this about Simon of Serene. And then verse 27 says, a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus said to them and turned to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on me, and to the hills, cover me or cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, and we want to be talking about those two men today. Both criminals in the book of Matthew describes them as thieves. Were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And our attention switched to verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. (laughs) Wow. But he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Jesus answered him. Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Incredible, isn't this? I mean, does this passage of Scripture, not just, it fills me with a sense of wonder when I look at how God brings his eternal plan together for all of mankind. And so, I want to explore the idea this morning. And the, uh, the big title is that I want to take us up close and personal this morning with the cross. I want us to just get a little bit more closer to the cross of Jesus as we in this generation look back at him. Now remember, as this was written, they were looking forward to Jesus, or before the death of Jesus, they were looking forward to Jesus. And so uh, a, a lot of the scripture was written within that context. We have experienced already Easter within our hearts. Jesus is already risen within our lives. Do you agree? And so we look back at these events, and that is why I say I look at these events with wonder, Because I know that what was written here has been expressed within my life in a way where all I can do at times is fall on my knees and worship him. And that's the way that I look at Easter. I look at it from a person who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who worship him. And so even this morning, as I draw near, by looking back at the cross, and we're going to do that through communion today, I want us to get up close and personal with this Jesus, because he oftentimes just steps into our lives, and he wants to get up close and personal with you. He doesn't want to be a distance away from us. He doesn't want to be separated from us. He wants to be up close and personal with you. Um, Have you ever had the context where someone steps into your personal space and all you want to do is to move backwards? Have you experienced that? Different cultures express it in different ways. In one of the cultures within South Africa, this particular culture loves just to get up close and personal with you. And when you stand in the lines, when you want to pay for your grocery bill, um, this particular um, group of people will get very, very close to you. And if you were raised in a culture that was taught for you to keep your distance, you feel that they've entered into your personal space. Can you identify with that? Of course you can. We identified where uh, in, in, in Switzerland, we need to get used to certain ways that are not the ways of the international culture maybe. And we've got to be very careful. We've got to respect custom. We've got to honor custom. And so we've got to do the changing. But when it comes to Jesus, my friends, the cross, one of its absolute benefits is that because Jesus died on the cross for us, because he was buried again, after he was punished, after he received God's wrath upon himself for what you and I did, and then he died. He was he he was dead for for three days, and then he rose again. My friends, this whole experience took place so that you and I can get up close and personal with him, and so that he can be up close and personal with you. You see, my friends. This is the real value of the Christian faith. we have got to be very careful when we speak to people who are on a journey to find Jesus, that, that we tell them, yes, that their sin has separated them from God. And Jesus took that upon themselves. And the experience of Easter is very graphic when it comes to that. He took all of our sins upon himself. He was punished for us. The wrath of God fell on him for you and I. Absolutely. But that's the one side of the gospel. The other side of the gospel is this, that through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was buried and he rose again, a way has been broadened for you and I and opened so that we can have a living relationship with him, one that is up close and personal, but this personal relationship, we never need to keep to ourselves, because Jesus told us that we need to share this experience with one another, up close and personal. There were indifferent people at the cross that day. Just people where the scripture says, the people stood and they beheld Jesus. There are some of those people who do that. They beheld Jesus. They they will look at him from a distance. But they don't get up personal with him. And we see that one category of person. Secondly, the religious, the Bible says the rulers sneered at him. So we had the religious people and they hurled insults at them. And then we have the worldly secularists, the des- soldiers who decided to cost lots with his clothes. And then we have those who really love Jesus, who came closer to him. And it was Jesus' mother and his friends. My friends, what you and I need to realize within the workplace that we live in, where we just fellowship with people around their tables, you're going to have people who are indifferent to, to, to Jesus. You're going to have the religious who will sneer at Jesus. You will have the secular humanist who would just um, want to use our faith and abuse it. You will have those who truly love Jesus and who wants to gather together. My friends, the gospel on that day was for all of those people. And the desire of God was that those people would come up close and personal with him. Let's look just at three pictures here. You know, the three pictures that I just want us to look at is is firstly the one dying for sin, which we know is our Savior Jesus. The second picture I want us to look at is the one dying in sin, the lost thief. And then thirdly, the one dying from sin. And I have renamed him the repentant saint. And I kind of used to Peter. That, 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 that's, that's kind of strange that you name him the repentant, say, but I've come to fall in love with this second thief. Can you ever fall in love with a thief? Well, this one you can, because he's just like you, and he's just like me. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, the other characters are also just like you and I. It comes as a shock to you, doesn't it? But my friends, it is only when you and I absolutely see our sinfulness apart from Jesus that we understand the wonder of the gospel. Because every single one of us are represented by these two characters. Either the one who was the repentant thief, who I like to call the saint, or the other one who was the lost thief, who never repented of his sin. So just uh, let's let's just have a look at at, at at these three categories of people. I would have put when I if I had to write this passage of scripture, I would have put Jesus last. But somehow Luke puts him first. So let's honor the wisdom of the Holy Spirit here as he penned this on paper. So let's look at the one dying for son, the Savior Jesus, and I guess. Um, The chronological order is is, is pretty cool. Um, The reason is because Jesus first drew us before we came to him. We would like to think that we sought after him. But my friends, he drew us to himself. He drew us to himself. The Bible says he first loved us. And so we see here on the cross that um, we look at him first Because salvation is primarily about him, but not exclusively. It is God, but God so loved who? The world. Would you say both thieves? Yes, he loved both thieves. Would you say the religious rulers? Of course. He loved the world. And we see that God gave his only son so that we would not be condemned like the second thief when we look at his life. But that we would be saved like the thief who became the repentant saint. My friends, it is the wonder of the gospel as we look at the one dying for sin, the Savior. When we look at the crucifixion, when we take part of of the bread and the juice today, my friends, when we drink the cup, it symbolizes the one who had died for sin, your sin and mine. Not only did he die for our sins, he died for us, the sinna. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that we were sinners who committed sin. You know, the gross neglect of the gospel have taught people that if they only say, "I'm sorry for my sins," that um, they will get saved. But that's just one part of the gospel. What we need to say is, it's not only my sin that separated me from God. It is my condition as a sinner. Amen? Sinners. Christ died for the sinner and the sin. We were born in sin, my friends. And that makes us sinners. And that's why we need a saviour. That's why the church can't save you. That's why your good works can't save you. You need a saviour who dies for the sinner and the sinner comes and the sinner confesses his sins and not only are our sins forgiven but we are transformed from being a sinner into a saint whoa how cool is that not only do we have the repentant saint but Every Christian person, the moment they are born again, the moment they receive the robes of righteousness that Jesus puts on us when we confess our sins and when we ask him to save us and when we get born again, my friends, the moment when that happens, we become saints. So there isn't just a St. Peter and a St. Paul. There is a, believe it or not, a St. Kent. Saint Kima, and I hesitate to say the Saint Willem, or Willi, that's the beauty of the gospel, not based on anything that you or I had done, or do, can we be Christians, it is solely based on what he did. And we come to him in faith and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins because I'm a sinner. Again, the dual function, forgive me of my sins because I'm a sinner. And he comes and he washes all of those sins away in a most miraculous way. My friends, Luke chapter 23 verses 32 to 34 says, when we look at Jesus, the one dying for sin, the Savior, two other men, both criminals or thieves, were also led out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Jesus said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's not just the two thieves that he was talking about. He was talking about everybody around there. Everybody. Remember, Peter was out there in the distance and he had just denied Jesus. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was talking about Peter. He was talking about the other disciples who ran away. He says, Father, my brothers, forgive them. (laughs) My friends, he was saying that about his mother. His mother was so close to him. But my friends, Mary was a sinner, not a saint. She had to put her faith in the suffering servant, the suffering saviour, for her also to become a saint like you and I. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. Jesus, when he looked at all of them, he said, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It reminds me of the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus, again, got up close and personal with her. Isn't that beautiful? Lucy preached on that a while ago. He stepped into her life. He stepped into her world of sin. And he confronted her world of sin. And that's what the gospel do, my friends. The gospel will confront. Front our world of sin. And the gospel will will turn it upside down. Expose it. But then when Jesus steps in, what the Samaritan woman experiences, you and I experience, we experience a loving, gracious, and personal Savior who forgives the sin and performs a miracle to transform the sinner into a saint, a believer in God. I love it when Jesus gets up close and personal because something happens. In this case, she responded to Jesus. I mean, Zacchaeus was a little man. He wanted to see Jesus. He climbed in the second tree. Jesus looked at him him as he walked past. Zacchaeus was in the tree. He made every attempt to get Jesus' attention. And Zacchaeus um, hurried down because uh, Jesus looked at him and said, I must stay in your house today. The people started grumbling because Jesus was going to a home of a sinner. (laughs) Don't you love that? When Jesus gets up close and personal, my friends, he loves to come into your home, he loves to step into your circumstances whether they are good or bad. Let him step into it. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he was despised. He was one of the tax collectors. Jesus made a point for everybody to know that he was going to go to Zacchaeus' home and get up close and personal with him. You see, on the cross, my friends, all of those events where Jesus became up close and personal with people, that power of the cross The blood of the cross performed the miracle, a miracle that you and I live in today, which we call salvation, and that brings us great joy. So that's the one dying for sin. No one else could do that, only he could do that. The one dying in sin, secondly, the lost cynic, and I've just called him the lost cynic because Uh, uh, cynicism is something that comes to all of us. Cynicism is an attitude characterized by a general distrust of the motives of others. And if you live long enough, you will know that you have to fight cynicism within your life. Cynicism is a form of unbelief because you don't trust. And some people don't make that step to follow Jesus because they mistrust him. We see that all of that was going on in the life of the lost cynic, the one dying in sin. My friends, every single person who turns their heads away from Jesus, they will die in their sins for all eternity. That's the saddest statement I'll ever, ever make. And it breaks our hearts as we even say it. But this was the lost cynic. Luke chapter 23 verse 39 says, One of the criminals who hung there, who insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Do you see the cynicism, the mockery? Save yourself and us. Can you just see that cynic attitude? The saddest thing is when Christians become cynics, and they no longer believe. My friends, it is not a wonderful thing to be cynical. It's a terrible thing, because you can never walk in faith. Because you distrust people, and eventually that will cause you to distrust God. What happens on earth so often works itself out in the spiritual realm in heaven. Stop Being cynical. Become a person of faith, believers. We have everything to be faithful about. Agreed? No, that's bad agreement. Don't you agree with that? As Christians, we should be the most optimistic, faith filled people. Even when we get hurt, we work through it and we put cynicism to bed and we come. People of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 taught us here. We see that he was the one dying in sin, the lost cynic. Cynicism, cynicism will make you bold, and even as bold as to mock the God upon the cross. In some way, when we look at this lost cynic, He was so embittered, he was so angry, that he would mock the Savior. And and that just blows my mind. But that's what sin does. Sin blinds us, sin makes us bitter, sin turns us angry. And this is a sad picture that we see on the cross. The fact is that he got up close and personal with Jesus on the cross. doesn't mean when we get up close and personal with Jesus that our lives change for the better. He died in his sins when that happens. My friends, when the gospel is shared with people, it doesn't mean that all people turn their lives around and they follow Jesus. Have you experienced that? For some people, when they hear the gospel, they become greater enemies of the cross. And the Bible tells us very, very clearly, that Jesus becomes a rock of offence to some. Let's not fool ourselves. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-three says, "But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God." Becomes the wisdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? But nevertheless, we must share the gospel with people. Give them the opportunity to turn their lives around. And then lastly, the one dying from sin. The repentant saint. And even on the cross, what I love about him is that he becomes a gospel preacher on the cross. He preaches the gospel to the other thief, but he preaches the gospel to the whole world. He preaches the gospel even to us here today. Listen to what Luke chapter 23, verses 40 to 43 says, but the other criminal rebuked the other criminal. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, Would you agree that that's a form of repentance here? (laughs) The gospel, for us to be saved, we need to say we are sinners and that we have sinned. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. Wow! Within that moment for us to become Christians, there is a humbling that must take place within our lives. We, if the gospel is to be powerful within our lives, we need to humble ourselves before God and we need to bow before him and we need to say, I'm a sinner and you are Lord. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. He acknowledged That Jesus was sinless. What a gospel message to all of us. The sinless saint gave his life for the repentant sinner who becomes a saint. This is such a powerful gospel message that he preaches. Then he said, As he puts his faith in Jesus. My friends, to be saved, we've got to confess our sins. Acknowledge that we are a sinner who sinned. But also we have to put our faith in the one, the suffering Savior. We've got to put our faith in him. And we see how he does that. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. What an acknowledgement. Jesus answered him. Truly, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Whoa. Today, absent from the body when we, are, when we die, we are present with the Lord. The gospel worked a miracle right there and then. Do I believe in death, bad conversions? Well, how can I not if I read this passage of Scripture? Amen. Well, isn't it dangerous to tell people that they can repent on their deathbed? Well, it's better to tell them that they can if they are and spend their life into eternity, amen? Would they have an opportunity maybe one day? Well, you can't guarantee that. What a big risk to take, so rather do it today. Isn't that better advice? Do it today, but I do believe that on a person's deathbed, that when Jesus reveals himself to them, that they can repent of their sins. Amen? I believe that with all of my heart. We see it here. Did he have to be baptized in water? I wish he did, because we believe very, very strongly as a church that when you get saved, and you become a saint, in that very moment, your sins are washed away, you are a brand new creation in Christ. My friends, every born-again Christian must be baptized in water, not to be saved, but to walk in total faith with Christ. Everyone, it doesn't matter which church denomination you come from. You see it all the way through the book of Acts, all the way. It's not only a disputed point, but did the thief on the cross have to be baptized in water to go to heaven? No. Does that settle it for us? No, you don't need to be baptized in water to go to heaven. But why shouldn't you get baptized in water when you have bowed the knee? Oftentimes, my friends, it is because we haven't humbled ourselves before God that we don't do certain things within the Christian faith, whether it be baptism, whether it's when a friend sins against us and they ask us for for forgiveness and we say, I won't forgive you. My friends, that is arrogance. The gospel teaches us in every context within our lives to bow the knee and to be humble. Amen? Amen. We'll put the Baptist tree up the pool again, I think, as soon as the holidays are finished. Because, my friends, we believe in water baptism, but you don't have to be baptized in water to go to heaven. Believe me. When we get to heaven, Jesus is going to ask us why we didn't, if you choose not to. And I have a good answer ready for him. But my friends, this is what C.S. Lewis says, and can the band come as we break bread together? This is what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis says, when Christ died, he died for you individually, just as much as if you had been. The only person in the world. Would you agree with me that Jesus, through the cross, has come close to us and he loves to be personal with us.